the Gung Fu Crew podcast, bringing together practitioners of various styles and schools and their unique perspectives to explore the world of Chinese martial arts. Welcome to the next episode of the Gung Fu Crew podcast. This episode will focus on Bagua Zhang, another of the so-called internal styles of Chinese martial arts, which became famous in the early Republican era at the beginning of the 20th century, mainly in Beijing. My guest will be Carsten Stausberg from Cologne, Germany. Carsten had the opportunity to spend several years in Taiwan where he learned from Luo De Xiu, so-called Yizong Bagua, and we will dive quite deeply into the training methods, but also topics that concern Chinese martial arts or traditional martial arts in general. I hope you have a lot of fun with this new episode. Welcome to the uh, Gung Fu Crew podcast, Carsten. I'm uh, very happy um, that you can be here and uh, I'm very happy to dive deeper into the practices of uh, Bagua Zhang. But before we do that, maybe you want to introduce yourself so that the listeners know who I'm talking to. Yes, thank you, Daniel, for the invitation. Great to be your guest here. So, um, yes, for the people who don't know me, which might be many of you, <laughs> my name is Carsten. I am uh, living in Cologne in Germany, and I have been practicing Chinese martial arts specifically for about two decades now, or maybe even a little more. But I practiced my or started my martial arts journey with uh, judo back as a kid as almost every kid in Germany back then. It was like a two or three years journey of judo. But then I switched basically to uh, other athletic sports, did tennis and badminton and rowing and basketball and everything a kid would just love to play. And then I only returned to uh, martial arts practice uh, when I was 17. So basically from the age of 17 to now, I continuously practiced different forms of martial arts, um, starting off with Shaolin Kung Fu and um, Chen Tai Chi, actually, the Hun uh, Yuan Chen Tai Chi from Feng Zhejiang, also studied it here or learned it here in Germany, in Cologne. And um, yeah, after, after a while, I switched to an Iranian Kung Fu style, Kung Fu Toa or Kutekado, how it was called back then. That was basically my first very intensive training phase because uh, by that time I was studying and we had a great group of people together which were all practicing super hardcore and uh, were all fully uh, immersed in the practice of this uh, martial art. And um, yeah, but as many of those young endeavors in martial arts end, it was also uh, with this martial art that we actually um, ran into major major problems with the teachers and uh, had the classic uh, guru martial arts thing going. So uh, that was the first big break for me uh, when I left this group. Um, and then I basically have been switching martial arts forms for quite some time. I delved a little bit into karate, some Wing Chun, um, before I decided to move to Taiwan because by the time I decided to move to Taiwan I was studying uh, Chinese language in Cologne and uh, we had to do the one-year 
uh, exchange with a Chinese university just for language purposes and I decided to go to Taiwan to do my uh, language exchange there and uh, that's also the year where I started to study uh, Baguazhang, Xingyichuan and Taijiquan with my current teacher Luo Dixiu uh, of the Yizong Bagua School in Taiwan. Interesting. Yeah. And like you mentioned, at least in Germany, but even also I think in the US, a lot of people start out with either judo or taekwondo or maybe karate or something. And then, like you said, it's, it's usually a long journey through mm -hmm. different things until we find something that's, oh, yeah, this is really what I what I want to do. Yes. Um, be before we before we go deeper there, because I, I always find it really interesting to to kind of understand why people then choose to train something i think that's a really interesting question but before we do that since you have the background of going to taiwan but also you you practice some other stuff um before you went there what term do you use like do you do you talk about kung fu or kung fu in general do you call it wushu or in taiwan i guess it would be guoshu or like how, how do you do you describe martial arts in general like what are the terms that you use for it Yes, um, so I studied Chinese language and literature in Taiwan. Uh, so I speak Chinese, I can read Chinese, and uh, I was confronted with the problem of uh, translating Chinese language into Western languages quite early. Um, so I honestly try to avoid almost every Chinese name that I can possibly avoid in teaching. And uh, I basically only use Chinese terms when someone is specifically asking for it. Mm -hmm. So if someone asks, say, uh, what's that Bagua Zhang? Is that like Kung Fu? I say, yes, it's Kung Fu. And if someone asks, uh, hey, is it Kung Fu what you're doing? Say, sure, it's Kung Fu. <laughs> the only thing where I don't uh, nod my head would be um, when somebody asks if it's Wushu. I would say, no, it's not. That's something different because I consider the um, old Bagua Zhang styles as well as the internal martial arts, Xing Yichuan and Tai Chuan, not as a form of Wushu, but as traditional Chinese martial arts. And I would always then explain this in uh, like two or three extra sentences, you know, what's what the difference is there. And um, I try to just make the make it clear that it's uh, the, the internal styles have never had the ambition of being um, competitive in a sports uh, spectrum or um, busy with athletic uh, development so much, but have been basically concerned with actual combat and fighting arts. So I would make the dis uh, distinction there. Uh, Guoshu, of course, as it's called in Taiwan, is also fine. Um, yeah, but like I said, I try to avoid Chinese names uh, as much as possible because it only creates uh, more confusion and there's a lot which gets confused in Chinese martial arts anyway. So, Yeah, because people bring a lot of preconceived notions. I mean, because yeah. technically wushu would just mean martial arts, but people, when, when they hear wushu here, yes. they usually think of the modern kind of uh, performance-based um, competitive stuff, which is mm -hmm. quite different. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So you already mentioned in, in Taiwan, they would call it Guoshu because that was whatever what the official term was during Republican times, mm -hmm. um, which I mean, it's it's quite interesting when you actually go to one of the sources, you know, where people speak Chinese and, and see what terms they use. And usually it's quite pragmatic. Um, when when exactly did you go to Taiwan? So you mentioned you went there for because you, you stayed for more than one year in total. I mean, 
It's yeah, I stayed for five years uh, continuously from 2005 to 2010. And uh, in 2010, I graduated from my university there um, and also kind of finished the, the learning process with uh, Lourdesio with a certificate. Okay. Why, why did you seek him out? Because you didn't train Xinyao Bagua before you went to Taiwan, right? Mm -hmm. So this was new but the, there must have been something that said uh, that told yeah. you hey i need to find yeah, something I, like that and i was aware of him uh before i moved to taiwan of course i checked out uh, before i went you know you have to do this language exchange year for one year and uh, i by the time i was uh, planning to travel not alone but with my uh with my wife um, so we traveled together and she was already already working and she was looking for uh, business opportunities there, mm -hmm. uh, also willing to do a language exchange. So we had, uh, we had a decision to make if we would go to the mainland China, where I was also looking up for like interesting teachers, or to Taiwan, where I was, where I was also prepared for checking out certain teachers that I uh, researched before. And uh, Lourdes Hyo was uh, one of the like three teachers that I definitely wanted to seek out. And uh, by the time I arrived, I actually started off with uh, Wing Chun, uh, with Loman Kam. I did that for like half a year before mm -hmm. I finally went to Lourdes Hyo's class. Um, uh, just because it was uh, like an hour away from the university that I stayed. So it was quite a bit of travel to do every day and the Wing Chun class was just closer. Mm. But then after half a year, I, uh, I went there and I never, yeah. And then I quit the Wing Chun and stayed with Luo for the rest of the time. Moving closer, of course, after a while as well, and then changing mm. universities. And so it was very convenient in the end. And yeah, so that's, I, I basically stayed, no, I stayed from 2005 to 2010 and I started like, uh, like after six months or so. I started mm -hmm. Agua program of him. What, what made you make that switch? I mean, it sounds like you you even you, you put in quite a bit of effort to also then go to go seek out a lot of shoe rather than use the convenience. I mean, you said you, yeah. you, you moved then and you, you switched to university. So sounds like you actually then kind of build your I mean, maybe it's an exaggeration, but you build mm -hmm. your life around then this practice. So there must have been something that said, oh, yeah, this is it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Lourdes Hyo was really the very first teacher in Chinese or let's say traditional martial arts that actually knew his, his art. Um, he was the first teacher that actually could translate every single movement of your movement practice into actual fighting applications. And he did so in the most efficient and um, powerful way that I ever felt before. So I was like an immediate, uh, an immediate okay i'm not gonna change back to any other guy because he's the dude right now and mm -hmm. also i mean uh, i in 2005 i would say law was in his prime as a teacher you know old enough to have all the experience you need to be a good teacher but also still young enough to be super powerful and agile um, which is the perfect scenario in my opinion to be mm -hmm. a teacher so not you know when, when teachers get too old it's like yeah they have all the knowledge but maybe they can't really demonstrate it anymore or you have you know it's, it's sometimes it's it's not as it could be yeah to young teachers you you sometimes have all the athletic abilities but uh, maybe the knowledge isn't as deep as it could be so it was the perfect time 
and the perf yeah to arrive at his class also mainly because there was already a strong group uh, of other students in his class but they were quite a bit ahead of me so they arrived two or mm -hmm. three years earlier and i was basically alone when i arrived so there was no other students to connect with so luo pushed me quite quickly uh, to connect with the with the advanced students, uh, which was great for me, of course, because I got the the information much quicker than than the other guys. Of course, mm -hmm. the two or three years of uh, training experience. But uh, so that was, like I said, it was the perfect match in 2005. Yeah. How old was he at the time? Just so for for reference purposes, I mean, roughly. Uh, like 40, 43, 45 ish. Okay. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. 20 years ago almost now and yeah he's in the middle of his 60s so yeah mm -hmm. all right mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a that's a really good point that people often because i i realize this now here as well by also you know having a small group and, and teaching makes a huge difference who is part of that group and like i said where in the let's say development cycle or where on along the journey the teacher is at the moment because people also shift their priorities also when teaching you know maybe they want to focus on something else in their own practice and that has a huge impact and i think people keep forgetting this yeah and they assume like oh you know i learned from from a famous guy um once he completely mastered the system but maybe at that point the guy wasn't super interested in basic training anymore yeah and people didn't even get the basics because it was yeah. boring for the teacher so i mean yeah <laughs> Um, what, what, what did training look like? I mean, so you mentioned there were more like some more advanced students, but it was a good group. Like, but what what uh, what training looked like? Mm -hmm. So we basically had training uh, six days a week. Uh, so it wasn't in a temple format or like closed school format, right? Everybody would be busy doing their day daytime job. I was studying uh, during the daytime, but then there was uh, classes every night, six days a week. And at the weekends, it was uh, twice daily. So one class in the morning and one class at night. I usually joined every every class. Uh, and the, the teaching format was quite open as well. So I, I can't remember exactly, but I think like uh, coaching hours or teaching hours were like seven to nine in the evening. But uh, students would arrive at six and leave at 10. You know, it was very open format. Uh, and also Lourdes Hio as a teacher is a very... Um, relaxed teacher uh, so uh, sometimes he would be there for three hours uh, and lead the class and sometimes he would just show up for 10 minutes and uh, everybody would keep practicing what they needed to practice so uh, we had a lot of foreigners back then in in the class so that was actually great because they came for the sole purpose of studying with Lourdes Hio or studying martial arts and they were really committed to uh, to learning so there was of course mm -hmm. a little bit of chat every here and there but everybody was really eager to use the time uh, in in Taiwan as as good as possible and not to waste so much on uh, socializing yeah and so i mean baguajang is obviously not the only thing that that law was teaching and that's not, not the only thing that you learned but it does is a big part of what uh, law teaches right or what he, he taught yes. back then yes what what how, how would you start with it like what was i mean obviously everybody everybody's experience might be a bit uh, mm -hmm. you know different and individual like you said you came a bit later and the others were more advanced but yeah. how would you get into the bagua practice First of all, it's uh, the school of Yizong Bagua uh, teaches three different styles, all the internals, not, not all, but uh, 
Xingyi Quan, Ba Guazhang, and Taiji Quan. And uh, Ba Guazhang uh, was the main subject of Luo's classes. We had six classes of Ba Guazhang per week and two classes of Xingyi Quan. And then uh, the advanced students after a while would also uh, add the Taiji Quan practice. Chen Panling Taiji, which is a symbiosis of Chen Yang and Wu style Taiji. But for us, the main uh, focus was on was on Baguazhang practice. Yes. And um, the Yizong system is derived from, from Gao style Baguazhang, which comes from Cheng style Baguazhang, which is the more uh, wrestling oriented, oriented uh, style of Baguazhang. So our practice was usually literally 50% of personal practice, self-practice, development of your movement capabilities. And the other half of the class was applications, applications and more of them. So uh, that's how I studied the system. And this is how I still teach it until today, that the basic practice needs to be your own your self-practice, where you develop your skills and your uh, yeah, work on your weaknesses and everything. And then the other half of the class was always hand, hands-on um, application training. Uh, like I said, yeah. impressed by the, the knowledge that Luo had when it came to applications and that he actually was able to, to pull everything off that we did in, in forms uh, and translate it straight into uh, working, working applications. Hmm. And the solo practice, I mean, I think when people have or had a bit of exposure to Bagua, they usually think of usually think of circle walking. Yes. Um, is, is that also the, the core of what you do or is it slightly different? Like what, what's the solo practice like? Yes, um, <clears throat> I think a lot of people right now call what they do Bagua Zhang. Um, and I don't think it's always uh, right to do so. I think Bagua Zhang is a... Uh, there are different styles of Baguazhang, of course, like uh, Infu's Bagua style and like uh, Cheng Bagua and everything. And they are full systems of uh, like taking an individual through a movement practice, but also there is a system and a curriculum of making that person uh, better able to uh, to fight or to solve combative uh, situations. And um, <clears throat> the um, Yizong Bagua style, you can you can simplify it by saying there is a Xientian practice and a Houtian practice. And the Xientian practice is the circle walking. And this is the practice where you where you basically mostly work on your movement capacities. You improve your mobility, your strength, your uh, ability to move into every possible direction in space uh, without restrictions. And then there is the Houtian practice, which is not circular, but which is done on a straight line. And uh, it's very short movement patterns that uh, can be translated into martial technique that you then practice with a partner. So if I said it's 50-50, uh, between self-practice and partner practice, the first 50% are again divided in uh, 25 of doing the Xientian practice, the circle walking, the meditate, meditative aspects of it, but also then the Houtian practice of practicing actual workable um, movement patterns that can be directly translated into applications. 
And would you start kind of all of that at the same time? Or is it more like this idea, okay, we start with the Xientian stuff and then you build up to the other and then you, you have more Hotian and, and more, more partner application? Or is it always essentially, hey, this is everything there is and let's try stuff out? Is it? Yes, I, I can't say always, but for me, it's, it would be always at the same time, starting everything at the same time. Um, I don't think too highly of the idea that you should stand uh, for three years in uh, Uti or, or uh, Zhangzhuang before you actually start to move. I mm. <laughs> never did that, and I don't believe in the idea. Uh, so we start off with basic hand methods to develop an understanding of the, of the proper body mechanics. Then we learn to move our feet while we move our upper body, and then we walk the circle. And of course, then it's already time to learn the first uh, applicable patterns for, uh, for working with a partner and then immediately translate it into partner practice. Because, you know, sometimes you have a student that sticks around for six months And in my opinion, that student should then be able to like have six months of experience in working with himself, but also with a partner and not, yeah, I did six months of Bhagwajang and we basically did Uti and now I can align myself to gravity. Hmm. And nice. uh <laughs> so this um, this um, circle walking though that maybe we can dive a bit deeper because I think when people see this it usually looks very interesting because it's quite unique in, in some sense and in, in, in even in Chinese martial arts and you already have very different schools of martial arts there. Mm -hmm. um, what's the the purpose? I mean, why why is that circle walking in there and this like what 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 qualities does it build or what are you trying to get out of this? Yeah, as uh, first um, firstly it's like in uh, Xing Yichuan and in Tai Chi Chuan as well, uh, the main purpose of the self-practice is to develop the most efficient movement possible, to develop uh, what we call whole body power, and then to transfer that power into any direction in space that you can possibly think of. And uh, the circle walking is quite unique to Baguazhang, although there have been circular forms in other Chinese styles as well. But uh, the emphasis is really strong in Baguazhang. And I think for me, uh, in my definition or my explanation is just that the circle walking was also a sign of the times when Bagua was created. Um, it is uh, younger than Xingyi, it is younger than uh, Taiji Chuan, and the combative situations uh, by the time that Baguazhang was created were also already quite different from the times when Xingyi Chuan was created. So Baguazhang was never really about um, fighting uh, with spares in a group and moving forward in a straight line to uh, fight the next bad village. Um, or villains that were attacking your village. But Baguazhang, I think, in my understanding of it, was more of a self-defense art, but also an art to, um, to solve uh, assaults or to get, like, survive assaults and uh, survive in a scenario where there could be attackers from all possible directions. So um, there need to be a method which creates a broader or... Uh, full spatial awareness of the surroundings of yourself. So while you're busy with working on a straight line in Xingyichuan and maybe stepping out into a 45-degree angle to apply force on your opponent, uh, in Baguazhang the emphasis is really that you need to learn to move into every possible direction in space uh, without um, 
without restrictions. So moving back, you know, stepping, stepping into diagonals, uh, backwards, twisting, turning, curling, moving into like combining curves, straight lines and arches. That's a super fancy movement compared to what, for example, Xingyi did. Um, and the circle walking just adds the, um, the complexity of free space around you, you know, and I think the the um, the method of circle walking really improves your spatial awareness because every repetition that you do on one movement patterns is slightly different than the one you did before. And there's mm. also, you know, the continuous turn towards the center of the circle. It creates torque in your body. It strengthens your core. It's it's very special. It's a uh, but I said it's. I think it's basically a sign of the times that the circum, like the the the, uh, the complexity of possibilities, uh, just grew, and um, yeah, I also teach it like that. Hmm. I think that's a very good point to consider the context in which these martial arts systems and their training paradigms were created. Because mm -hmm. I think this is another thing that a lot of people seem to to either forget or, or, or I don't know ignore. Um, which totally makes sense, you know, when, when you have um, something that was created for the battlefield, fighting with cold weapons, obviously the, the mentality and the training was going to be different. Okay. And uh, obviously then might also get changed over time, but you still have this, this, uh, this ancestry in there, which I find quite interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's probably not limited to Chinese martial arts. You see it in Japanese martial arts a lot as well. Yeah. And yeah, it totally makes sense. Now the now the, uh, the fighting part, the, the partner work. You mentioned that this would be uh, roughly fifty percent, which is nice. You know, lots of partner work. Mm -hmm. um, would that be mainly technique training? Would it be kind of sparring or wrestling, like freestylish practice? Would it be specific exercises, like I mean, in Tai Chi, people know Tui Shou, or in Wing Chun, it's Chi Sao, like or in, in Hungar, bridging hands. Mm -hmm. What what would you usually do there? First of all, the practice of uh, practicing with a partner should be progressive uh, always and um, if you learn a new technique you need to start learning it in a, a cooperative mode so it has to be you moving and your partner not moving at all first so that you get the technique and you understand the basic mechanics of it uh, then there needs to be a rise in uh, in pressure or stress and this can be done with various methods uh, in Taiwan um, we usually started off like that like uh, cooperative practice and semi-cooperative practice where the partner would move a little more you know and then adding some speed and uh, bringing in some some um, uh, different or, or changing back from different forms of attack that you would have to react to. So always increasing the, the stress level uh, in order to um, internalize the, the pattern, right? Uh, we also have uh, toy show, we have row show, different um, versions of it. So uh, that was basically the platform of applying all that you know you know you would of course when you when you are in let's say the first movement pattern you learn the techniques of the first movement pattern but after a while like after a year you learned like like a dozen and you also know already quite a lot of applications so the toy show or the row show is kind of the the foundation or the platform form from where you can play with all the things that you learned 
Uh, and this is also something that I still do today. I use Toysho and Drosho mostly for playing with everything that you learned before, finding the entries, crossing like distance, closing distance and everything. That's all in the Toysho and Drosho practice. And um, this is basically how we worked in Taiwan. Uh, in Germany, I also work with, um, with uh, the, the game of introducing just more than one partner so we have like a practice where you defend yourself against like three people but not at the same time it's just about again creating more pressure than you had with one person not not because of the idea that you can actually beat three people in a fight which is really mm -hmm. right but uh, you have one partner in standing in front of you the next one after you've done after you're done with the first kind of approaches from behind then you have to solve that problem and then the next guy is coming in again from the front and from below you know attack attacking your legs how you defend that and everything so that's the next kind of level that i play with again it's cooperative because you know you what you need to do um, it also increases your uh, skill level. Um, but after that, it's, uh, you know, we didn't do too much real sparring in Taiwan. Um, some, you know, sometimes we rented out uh, uh, like a place with mats so we could actually throw each other uh, with full force. But we were all practicing on concrete floors. Uh, and uh, most of the time our practice was just ending where it would hurt. Mm. Um, in Germany here in Cologne I have a space where I have mats every day so we can throw each other and I do so quite a bit I'm a great fan of takedowns and throws and knockdowns and everything uh, and I usually practice uh, an application to the level that the people can perform it under high pressure but then you know it's also a matter of the students and what they want it for and mm. I, I do not decide it for them so the real, reality of my class is that I have mostly older students in between, let's say, 30 and 70 years. Uh, and literally no one is uh, interested in like, taking the knowledge of the Bagua class into an MMA scenario or practicing Bagua Zhang for a full assault in the dark. Mm. So, you know, it's, why should I then go... Uh, into that direction and uh, have them spar heavily and f like with gloves on and everything protective gear when they are not even interested into it yeah yeah it's oh, so that's the the thing you know there is there's a ton of methods that make you better in applying technique but after you like uh, sufficiently know how to apply them you have to ask yourself the question okay, what I'm going to do with that now? Because taking that to the next level, to really being able to, uh, to fight in a, in a cage or to defend against like an, an assault from the back, it takes a whole different level of commitment, of practice. And uh, I, for my part, have not a single student uh, that's actually interested in taking those extra steps mm. to teach it. And it probably is, is not only commitment, but also dedicated practice right because these are very different scenarios yes. and this will actually have been my next question but you already kind of answered it like the the framework 
because people then often talk about like oh does it work in the street mm -hmm. I, i don't i'm not sure what street they are talking about because it's definitely not sure anywhere here in munich where you have it's <laughs> yeah <laughs> where, where you meet the, the i don't know the, the thai boxer who challenges mm -hmm. you to a, to a duel to the death whatever right. um, but yeah civilian self-defense or security work or or um yeah com competitive like combat sports these are very different scenarios yes But if I understand you correctly, then the idea of, of what you train is also that essentially you have a method that you could use theoretically to apply it in each of these scenarios if you want to. And then you would have to go down that road and say, okay, so what makes sense in that specific context? Yes. Yeah, the, the whole system, you know, like many, many Chinese styles, it's is very broad. You have... You know, you have striking techniques, you have uh, takedowns, you have knockdowns, you have all kinds of joint locks, and they all work if it's a good system. Uh, they work because it's uh, they follow uh, biomechanics of the human body. You know, a joint lock works. There's no, no discussion about it when the, the lock is performed in a way that makes sense from a biomechanical perspective. Uh, but then the scenario might not ever ask for a joint lock because you are uh, you are fighting with gloves and inside of a ring or mm. getting attacked from two people uh, in the dark from behind so a joint lock is not your business <laughs> um, so a chinese style is usually very broad and uh, tries to embrace it all which is also a sign of the times but not the smartest way to build a martial art To be mm -hmm. So I'm a great fan of traditional martial arts, but I see uh, I see many problems in traditional martial arts, and trying to uh, solve all the problems is one of the major downsides of traditional martial arts. So um, you need to be more specific in your practice if you have a certain goal in mind. So if self defense on the street is your main purpose of uh, like moving into a martial art practice you should specifically search for those people who teach just that and not mm. busy yourself with uh, yeah, with learning semi-cooperative joint lock series. It's, yeah, that's, uh, that's quite interesting because it's, it's one of the unique characteristics of, you know, like I said, pretty much all Chinese martial arts is usually a very big curriculum. Yeah. So a lot of material to cover, but also this It's, it's not a high level of specialization, but rather it's a generalistic approach to physical confrontation. Yeah. And you can you get everything that you could possibly need. But if you really want to go deep, it's a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, you have to narrow yourself down. It's, uh, you know, Chinese martial arts don't work in a, uh, in a vacuum. It's, uh, it's the same, same principles of learning a skill that applies to everything else in life. Uh, if you want to use it for a specific purpose, you need to get specific. And uh, a style, by definition, is usually not specific. Some styles are, you know, like, uh, for example, BJJ is specific to ground fighting or grappling. You know, it's, it's okay, we only solve problems on the floor okay five percent are takedowns but the rest is like okay you know we want to be able to fight against a person on the ground and this is already quite specific but yeah. also not not really and it also to be fair it developed out of a much more generalistic approach of the original jiu-jitsu like yeah, exactly. which was also yeah now, now one thing that often I, i i kind of have to ask the question because it 
always comes up with internal martial arts or so-called mm -hmm. internal martial arts. What, what does conditioning and strength training look like? Is it a big part of um, what you do? Are there specific exercises? Is it frowned mm -hmm. upon? Because it is a point of contention for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, definitely not frowned upon uh, because uh, Luo was uh, and is a very realistic teacher. Um, and, you know, a martial art should... I think Tim Cartmel, one of my most influential teachers, has a good definition about that. Uh, he says, you know, if every, every human has an innate uh, ability to fight, we all have it. We, you know, we are like, like monkeys, and if, if a physical confrontation occurs, we kind of put someone in a headlock, we sit on the, you know, on the stomach and do the ground and pound. That's just naturally within us within all of our all of human beings and um, if you would just fight people who are weaker slower older or just whatever or, or the same level as you you wouldn't need a martial art you know it's like you could defend yourself quite well with your innate abilities but then a martial art has the approach of um, teaching you technique and making your movement uh, so efficient that you could possibly theoretically defend yourself against a stronger and heavier opponent. Um, and so does uh, Bagua Zhang, so does Xing Yichuan, so does uh, Taiji Chuan as well. So it's all based around uh, the idea of making your movement as efficient as possible and to apply your force against uh, parts of the, the opponent's body or areas where he or she is the weakest, right? It's, just, it's usually the, the way that uh, a martial art is built so that you can be effective or efficient against a stronger and um, heavier opponent. But the moment that you uh, approach or dive into combative sports where your opponent has the exact same skill set as you, uh, but also is the same weight, and the same age and everything is equally uh, distributed between the two of you, you need additional strength and conditioning training to gain the, the advantage. So in a traditional martial art, which is not busy with preparing athletes for a competitive endeavor, uh, real strength and conditioning training isn't that important. It only becomes important when you fight in a com competitive scenario. Um, Bagua Zhang itself, the Yizong Bagua style, has certain methods that should make you stronger, that should make you more mobile, um, which is usually done by exercises that use your own body in a very low and long way. So by extending your arms extremely far away from your body, you create longer levers, which then pull a little bit harder on your core, which then over time strengthen your, your, your center, for example. Then we also have weapon practice that we don't use too much uh, to actually fight with a weapon, but we use a heavy staff or a heavy sword in order to again increase the lever in order to make everything harder for your center in order to then strengthen your center even more mm. so this is kind of the the natural bodybuilding method that is uh, practiced in the Yizong Bagua style uh, which is again like, like I said before a sign of the time and uh, 
matter of context because you know there was there was no gym back then where people could jump on the rowing machine to improve their cardio or uh, like do heavy bench presses in order to become really stronger and uh, Chinese martial arts systems also basically follow the same methodology of if you want to get stronger you just add volume mm -hmm. all the time you know You practice two hours a day and you want to get stronger, practice three. All right. You know, it's, uh, and there's not many other variations that you could traditionally use to really um, to reach that goal of becoming stronger, more conditioned, uh, and fitter in general. So, again, to get back to your questions, yes, we have uh, methods which are basically built for improving your strength which is mostly the strength of your core and the center. But I would say it is necessary if you want to really uh, move beyond, um, beyond that level because you want to engage in a combat sport, you need to add more specific strength and conditioning methods to your training. Yeah, I mean, it, it won't hurt, right? That's, that's what usually gets me here. Is I guess some people also don't recognize the strength training that is built in because, like you said, people use heavy weapons or mm. other stuff, and it doesn't look like strength training that we know yeah. because we're very accustomed to using barbells or kettlebells or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you now have also a wealth of, of knowledge and, and you have interesting tools for specific strength development coming from other sources. Yeah. And, yeah, a lot of people I talk to, they say, yeah, I mean, You know, some people use clubs or kettlebells or, or bodyweight exercises, just depending on also what they like and what fits yeah. in with their practice and supports the, the stuff that they What's do. Available. Yeah. Yeah. What about health? I mean, how does this feature in? Because this is also one of the things that, that gets me like, I mean, yeah. strength training can also be healthy. Obviously, it's not the only part, but this can also be a part of health training. Yes. And this is something that seems to be really important to a lot of people, especially in internal martial arts. Mm -hmm. what, what does health training in Bagojang look like? Is it, is it just that the training itself is, is focused on, on you know, healthy practice or is it something additional? Is it... Uh, hmm. um, My definition of a martial art, not, not a definition, but uh, as I said before, a martial art should be busy with making your movement as efficient as possible. Uh, efficient movement also always uh, involves full range of motion. Efficient motion always means enough strength for the tasks that you want to, to do in your daily life. Uh, and enough conditioning, you know, involves to be able to uh, move up as many flights of stairs that you need to. Um, so health i would say is not a traditional goal of martial arts practice um, at least in my understanding a martial art was busy with practicing for martial endeavors but if you practice a martial art which is which is based around healthy biomechanical uh, movement patterns it is healthy to practice it um, so if we develop full range of motion in every joint of your body in our Bagwajang practice for the purpose of applying it in a martial context, it is also very good for your health because you're not restrained in your movement and the next time you stumble down uh, the stairs, you might be able to, uh, you know, to take the extra, extra step and uh, not fall over and break mm -hmm. the neck. So in this regard, it strengthens your body it makes you more mobile 
um, the intense practice of the movement patterns also improves your cardio. Also, there's yeah, it could be better. Um, and another thing, of course, is just the the mental aspect of it that you are doing something for a prolonged time without <laughs> grabbing your cell phone. You know, it's uh, it sounds ridiculous, but uh, if you engage in circle walking or in your Taiji form, and the Taiji form takes 45 minutes, or your circle walking takes an hour, it's full focus on one task, which is something that nowadays is really, really hard to find. Mm. You know? And uh, so yes, I think practicing Bhagwajang can be super healthy. Practicing Taiji Chuan can be super healthy if done correctly. Uh, but it wasn't the original purpose of the martial art hmm. and i guess you I mean, you already connected it also to i mean mental health maybe too big of an of a term but you know there you have the aspects of uh, you already mentioned in the Xientian practice like meditation and um, mm -hmm. things like that i mean that that would also be interesting to understand is this a separate practice within bagua chang that you have specific meditational practices or introspection or is it just baked into the the, uh, the entire training yeah. program uh, i wouldn't say there's any introspective practice like really sitting in uh, sitting in uh, in front of a wall and basically uh, um, um, experiencing the experience. Uh, now it's all again, it's linked to uh, martial abilities. So uh, I wouldn't even call it I wouldn't say it's a meditation, but it's a meditative practice. Um, and this is due to the fact that humans learn better if they focus entirely on the tasks that they are doing. And mm. just as Taiji Chuan, uh, Bagua Zhang is also practiced in a little bit of a slower fashion, uh, so that your mind is actually able to follow your body's motion. So the mind body connection is strengthened through the uh, meditative character of the practice itself. For introspection, I wouldn't go to Uh, study Bhagwajang or Taiji Chuan or any other martial art uh, that could be done in a in a different scenario in a much more effective way. Hmm. Which again gets goes back to the generalization or the specialization of, yeah. of what you want to train yeah. for. And you know the you know the game. I mean, in the 90s, everybody was like putting out phrases like you know kung fu is life and life is kung fu and you can you know if you understand kung fu you understand life so come on guys <laughs> that's just entirely bullshit mm. and uh, of course when you are practicing uh, martial art like we do now for for many decades you can link all the experience that you have in your life your spiritual um, development to your practice and then your your martial arts practice becomes a self-practice and it gets much more deeper and a martial art for me nowadays is not about being a better fighter anymore it's my self-practice you know where i can link all the aspects of my personality and my history and my background and it's all in there um, but it wasn't there from the beginning and it wasn't the goal you know? and, mm. uh, so right now, when I practice my circle walking, it is also a meditation. It has become a meditation because it's, the, the movements anchor down a lot of my personal experiences when I practice it. Hmm. To start off with, if a student like in the first week would ask me, oh, am I doing actual meditation here? So no, 
no, don't even think about it. It might become one at some point in your practice, but hey, we're not a religion here. Uh, I don't know anything about your experience. Uh, it's entirely yours. And of course, if, if martial arts becomes your self-practice, your personal way of uh, experiencing the world, that's amazing. I hope it happens because martial arts are just great for that. But they are, again, not, not built specifically about, for this reason. Hmm. I mean, it also goes back to a, the, the, this idea of, I, I like the idea of, of self-practice, you know, that you build your own practice of, of movement, of, of fighting, of, of whatever you also want to do with it. But like you said, it's not highly specialized on just one of those things. It's all in there. Right. But also, you mentioned your, your, your teacher being in his, in his prime, like Lourdes Hugh being in his prime. I guess also the practice changes over the years and then also the teaching also changes accordingly. And I think this is something yeah. that needs to be taken into account. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Now, now, given that that stuff has changed, obviously for you, like your practice has changed for you, yes. how would you, and how, what, like, what do you hope for in terms of how Chinese martial arts like develop specifically the, the way you practice and teach? I mean, you, you you do have some some influence, obviously, in your school, but uh, you already mentioned okay, traditional martial arts also do have some some baggage, some maybe historical baggage that can be problematic. Um, but what what would you hope for? Like, what would you like to see in the future? I basically think styles are dead. So um, I'm not optimistic for Chinese martial arts style. I'm also not optimistic for any style at all. I think uh, the, the times are asking for more specificity. Uh, the times are asking for, um, you know, I, um, of course, I am kind of I am happy that I studied within a tradition and that I can actually like say who, who my teacher was. And, you know, that's kind of the original dudes who created that Bagua style. It's cool to have, but it has almost no value in the in the in the modern modern world. Um, and I don't know if it's actually uh, if, if the idea of holding on to a style and hoping something for the own style is something that we need too much. It's uh, we need to find solutions for problems that are in the now and uh, solutions that we found in the past or other teachers found in the past. They might be still applicable, uh, but they need to be questioned. And um, I know that we have, well, you know, in Itong Bagua, we have like like two dozen of good teachers out there all spread all over the world. They teach the system. They all teach quite differently. We all have our own individual approaches to the art, and that's that's totally fine. And for the for the style itself, of course, I hope that there at least will be like one or two students who take it seriously enough to study the full system, so that we can we can try, like give it to to the next generation. But that's about it. I don't think that it's important to uh, carry a style forward into the next uh, decades. Um, but it's more important to ask, okay, what do we need? What sort of practice do we need now? What kind of experience do we have from our ancestors? And how, how do we need to change things in the now to make it applicable for the future? Um, uh, and therefore, you need good teachers. You know, you, you need good teachers that have the experience and that learned the full curriculum of the past, but also teachers who, who go beyond that and uh, go into different, let's say, different forms of martial arts practice and broaden their horizon and see, okay, you know, 
we need to open up our eyes. We need to check out what these guys are doing, what these guys are doing, so that new questions arise. And uh, we, we can then start to even like create something new out of it. I, and I'm hoping for more creation, to be honest. I'm not hoping for uh, preserving, preserving the old. That's not my approach. Uh, that's also why I started uh, to study jujitsu. Why I uh, did wrestling on top of everything. Mm. And uh, I, I am like I'm a generalist entirely. So my basic practice is, is baguajang. I do that daily, but um, I also practice uh, other forms of martial arts now. And I actually hope for for more um, exchange first of all in between experienced teachers but then also exchange in the students groups and that just people get together more and uh, break down the walls of the of the styles kind of yeah i'm, I'm actually i'm hoping for the same thing and, and i hope that also maybe the podcast can help a little bit you know to to broaden people's minds and, and not be like the frog in the well who only knows mm -hmm. one training system and think like, oh, this is how it has to be done. But rather than that, you know, see what other people are doing and think, oh, this is also interesting. Maybe different ideas, maybe different concepts, maybe also different goals. You know, and it's fine, but then you can actually um, also figure out what you want to do with your own practice. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and um, my, my, my thought is still, I mentioned this in a couple of other episodes that, you know, maybe in the second season of the podcast, we will have something that that i haven't seen done much in in podcasting of for martial arts where actually different practitioners and teachers actually talk about the same topic and share their perspectives i i really hope that we can pull off something like that because i think this is where the true value will be yes yeah maybe you can also do a podcast with uh, multiple guests at one point it's uh, exactly uh, actually a discussion can evolve yeah um yeah yeah if, if you're up for it I'm yeah, always sure. sure um yeah uh, we cool. also started this for a kind of we 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 had a first shot on a co collaborative format with Nabil recently in Cologne. You know about it, so yeah. where, where we met the, for the first time, and I think it was a good a good start. And we we want to build on that. Uh, I also have exchange uh, with uh, great teachers from other uh, areas of martial art, and this is uh, this is amazing to find people. You know, you it's it's great to be the frog in how do you how did you call it the frog in the well frog in the well you need people who are the frogs <laughs> you know you need the you need the in-depth knowledge otherwise there can't be no true exchange it's uh, yeah. it's you know you need the experience but these people need to to get together uh, yeah. and um and find new new ways. I still, you know, the, the thing that drives me most these days is still that I want to get people into martial arts practice, and I don't care too much uh, about the style that they actually do, because mm -hmm. I I love martial arts practice so much, and I uh, I can just recommend it to everyone to start martial arts at some point, no matter which style, no matter what. You know, you will make your own experiences in your style. You might switch styles at some point. It doesn't really matter because despite making you fit and healthy and maybe improving your, your you know, your self-defense abilities, martial arts is a great, great platform for for uh, your own self-practice, your, mm. your meditative practice, your self-development. Um, it's just amazing and it's uh, hard to find it somewhere else. And um, I, I basically hope for that more than 
my personal school to grow let's say that you know it's i'm always happy when i see young people coming in uh when you know when they, when i see the fire in their eyes and yeah now we're doing like this and this is amazing and yes mm -hmm. i know that i've been the same and it's great and let's let's just let's just go from there and uh, wherever you start it's a great starting point and uh yeah just dive straight into your martial arts practice that's what i try to facilitate these days <laughs> nice and i think that's a perfect ending for the for the episode um uh, thank you for all the insights it was uh, really interesting um, for me as well and like i said um i hope to yeah, have you back maybe for some some group discussions in the in another season on on some of the hot topics in in martial arts in general yes <laughs> yeah it would be great to do that thanks for the invitation again all right thanks for being here and see you soon see you Okay, dann mache ich hier mal Stopp. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you had a great time. The next episode will air next month. And until then, feel free to check out our Instagram account, where we also feature some of the people we talk to, other practitioners and teachers of Chinese martial arts, and anything else that might be interesting in the world of Kung Fu. Thanks, take care, and hope to meet again. <laughs>